0: Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. We've been looking at the story of Joseph. And if you want to follow, I'm going to read from Genesis 39, verse 20 onwards. It says, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. We looked last week at why that was. It was to do with the fact that Potiphar's wife had tried to seduce him, and he'd run away, but she lied about him and said that he had tried to seduce her. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for everything that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master. Pharaoh was very angry with his two officials the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they'd been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream. The same night... And each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him, in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream, I saw a vine in front of me. And on the vine were three branches. And as soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into the Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put the Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph was given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I had a dream too. On my head were three baskets of bread in the top basket, there were all kinds of baked goods for the Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket as it was on top of my head. It's what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. And within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat away your flesh. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, so that once again he put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, just as Pharaoh had said in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Last week we looked at how Joseph had been given great responsibility and resisted temptation and yet ended up being thrown into prison. He'd been full of integrity, he'd resisted sin, and at great cost. And I finished by talking about someone called Eric Liddell, who ran in the Olympics, and who at the end of a race was lifted shoulder high. Joseph wasn't. He wasn't carried high by an exultant crowd. Instead, he was lied against, ridiculed, and thrown into prison. Honouring God doesn't always bring acclaim. It doesn't always make you popular with the crowd. And Joseph's integrity had cost him everything. But if we could just see that story from heaven's perspective, we would probably have seen angels rejoicing over what Joseph was doing, even as people were casting him into prison. From God's viewpoint, Joseph had triumphed. He was on course, and he was ready for the next Phase of what God was going to do to prepare him for his destiny you know God carefully and sometimes painstakingly orchestrates the details of our lives we all know that salvation is free but actually the preparation for spiritual authority is often costly and difficult Joseph was in the furnace. He was in a tight spot. We read in Psalm 105, it's talking about Joseph. It says, he, that's God, called down famine on the land and destroyed all their supplies of food. But he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons. Till what he foretold came to pass. Until the word of the Lord proved him true. The word of the Lord proved him true. The word of the Lord refined Joseph. It proved him true. We see something similar when we read of Elijah. He, He was an amazing man. And really, he'd hardly got going when God directed him to the brook at Cherith to be fed by ravens and day after day they were hot dusty days a meager trickle of water dwindled to nothing and he was faced with a drought Elijah probably sat there and looked upon that anxiously and at last God stepped in He said, Elijah, go to Zarephath, where I've commanded a widow woman to feed you. There was one thing God forgot to mention, though. Here he was saying to Elijah, I've commanded a widow woman to feed you. Go and find her. What he forgot to mention was that widow woman herself was starving and at death's door. And so Elijah arrives there. And what he discovers is all sorts of tests awaiting him. What he thought was his salvation, a woman with food who was going to feed him, became a series of challenges. While he was there, that widow's only son was going to die. It's interesting, even the name of the place, Zarephath, Means a place of refining God took Elijah to a place of refining to test him and that's what he does with us from time to time he puts us in these hot difficult places to refine our lives when we tell God we want to serve him that we want to give him our life in order to see his kingdom come he tests us He tests us to see whether this is what we really want. He tests us to the point where we're tempted to ask, how much longer is this pressure going to last? I can't understand why it is so prolonged, why it is so difficult, and why it just doesn't come to an end. Why did Elijah have to go from one pressure to another? The answer is simple, and it's because God had great plans for him. He was going to stand in front of the whole nation of Israel and call down fire from heaven. He was going to pray and open the skies after three years of drought. God doesn't put you in positions like that without testing you first. We've spent two and a half years laying the foundations here for a church, and that work still carries on. Even what we're teaching and talking about now is laying foundations, and there's an important reason. There's a reason why we've spent so long doing that. It's because if God wants to build something significant here in this church, we need to make sure those foundations are right and sure and solid. And that's what he does in our lives when he tests us. So when you question why life is so difficult, God's actually already given the answer. It says in John 13, verse 7, You don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. If you look at Psalm 66, it says, verse 10 onwards, For you have tried us, O God, you have refined us as silver is refined. You've brought us into the net, you've laid an oppressive burden upon our loins. You made men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you brought us out into a place of abundance. If you want, you could write the word Joseph in the margin next to that passage, because that is what God did with Joseph. And then eventually he brought him out into a place of abundance. When we go through pressure, we often wonder if it's the devil oppressing us. Actually, even when it seems like evil men might be responsible, they often only prove to be instruments of God's plan. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, So that we even despaired of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And a bit later on in chapter 4, he continues, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Is that how you feel today? Do you feel afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, destroyed? But what does a furnace do? When you're in the furnace, what does it do? Simple. It burns up the rubbish. It burns up the stuff which is dirty, unnecessary and irrelevant. Things that just aren't worth keeping. Things that take up space and clutter our lives. That's what God often wants to do with us. He wants to remove the dross from our lives. He wants to keep the stuff which is essential and has lasting value. In the parable of the sower, Jesus said, There are those who immediately respond to the gospel. But then the sun rises and their swift response is tested. If you look at that carefully, it's interesting. Jesus didn't say, and then one day the sun might rise. He said it does rise. You know, the sun has a definite tendency to rise. It rises each morning. And our emotional responses are tested. God burns up our emotional responses He challenges our cold doctrinal correctness when it isn't built on genuine faith. We can be meticulous. We can be devoted to defending doctrines such as the sovereignty of God. And yet be tense, be nervous, and be worried. Because actually, although we hold those doctrines in our head, we don't believe them with our hearts. Those doctrines should build security in our lives and give us peace and rest. We should be immovable, not frightened. Now, it's better that we find out who we really are by going through the fire. What it does is it takes away from us our own self-sufficiency, from thinking we can make it on our own. When we go through the testing... We find out how weak and how needy we really are. And actually we begin to realize that being put in a position that we can't handle is a dangerous place to be. God is preparing his church for end time prominence. It says in scripture, she will arise and shine and the nations will turn to her. They will turn to the brightness of the church's rising. And then the mountain of the house of the Lord will rise above all other mountains, and all the nations will flow to it. And that is the high position the church will have. So it's natural, God wants every stone in the church to be tried, tested, safe and secure and able to handle the glory as well as the pressure. When we go through these times, it's easy to feel tossed around by the storm, to feel afflicted, and to feel there's no comfort. And some people I know even question their salvation. But we need to be careful. There's three wrong ways that scripture warns us about in how we respond to such times. In Hebrews 12, verse 5, it says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't regard it lightly. Don't shrug it off. Don't fail to respond to God's dealings in your life. It then goes on to say, Don't faint when you are reproved by him, as some children do when you correct them. They think you're against them. And they just collapse and wallow in self-pity. Don't faint. And then, ten verses later or so, it warns us to make sure that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble. God trains us. And the pressure he puts us under is a benefit to those who are trained by it. So how did Joseph survive? What made him succeed through this whole experience? If you flip forward to Genesis 49 verse 22, it describes Joseph as a fruitful vine by a spring whose branches went over the wall. It's a bit reminiscent of a passage in Jeremiah 17, where it says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose trust is in the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water, that extends its roots by a stream, and will not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves will be green. It will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. A tree that's planted by a river, that sends its roots down into the water table, doesn't fear when drought comes. Joseph was in the furnace, but his roots were in the stream. He was still trusting God. And not only did he continue to bear fruit, We saw it. Everybody trusted him. Even though he'd been thrown in prison, they effectively gave him the keys to the prison and put everything under his charge. Not only did he continue to bear fruit, but he climbed up over the wall. He didn't only keep to himself what God was doing, but he blessed those around him. He blessed Potiphar's house And he blessed his fellow prisoners. What's interesting is, in spite of his own needs, when the baker and the cupbearer were distressed and upset, he said to them, why are you looking so sad? And he still had something to give them. Because he had enough grace for himself and for others. He'd retained his confidence in God. How easy do you think he could have thought? Huh, I used to have dreams too. They've never come true. If I were you, I'd forget it. I used to have dreams, but I've grown up now. But he didn't say that. His immediate reaction was to say, tell me your dreams, I will give you the interpretation. There was no cynicism, there was no disillusionment. Joseph was still believing. When you look at his life, since he'd had his dreams, everything had gone wrong. But he still believed. He didn't hesitate to speak out with confident faith, rather than bitterness, frustration, or disappointment. says in Psalm 116, I believed, therefore I have spoken. God's taking you through a hard time now. If it feels like everything has gone wrong, maybe God's putting you through the furnace. Have you discarded the word of God on your life that used to grip you and thrill you? Or are you like Joseph, still confident, As confident as you were, as when God first gave it to you. With faith and patience, we need to inherit the promises that God has put on us. We need to let God take us through the furnace, refine us and prepare us for everything he has in the future. That passage from Psalm 105 tells us, But it was the word of the Lord that tested Joseph until it came to pass. It was certain that the promise of God would come to pass. Joseph endured the test and was about to step into the fulfillment of God's promises. He was tested. He'd been tried. And he was found to be faithful. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk